This is The Eclectic Joe, the podcast, 2003, episode two. Welcome, everybody, to the second podcast of The Eclectic Joe. I am Joe Torres, your host. So I had a professor at North Texas, Dr. Wardy. May he rest in peace. And by the way, that's how you know you're getting old when the first thing you do when you get your alumni mag- magazine is look to see who, uh, what professors or classmates you had who, uh, who have passed away in the obituary section. Hate that. But anyway, Dr. Wardy used to say, he'd love to say, how does the mind work? And then he'd say through association. And all these many years later, he's absolutely right. So uh, in this case, I ended up taking the citizenship test. But how did I get there? Well, one afternoon on a weekend, I'm bored. I think to myself, okay, I'm going to write down the original 13 American colonies just for kicks. And it turns out that I got 12 out of the 13. I put Vermont instead of Georgia. So it's disappointing to me because in grade school and junior high and high school, uh, history slash civics, uh, they, if they were separate, they were two of my better subjects. Um, was always a history buff. Would have majored in it in college, but uh, I did want to eat after I graduated. So uh, that, that wasn't going to work out. But I'm mad at myself for getting, not getting them all correct. A few, we, a few weeks later, we're having lunch with our nephew, and I just he, uh, our nephew who graduated a couple years ago, he's now a sophomore in college, graduated a couple years ago from high school, and I just asked him, I said, would you be able to write down the 13 original colonies? And he said, no, they didn't teach us that in school. And I'm, I was shocked. I, I just, <clears throat> I know it's a different day and the things have changed. Maybe not always for the better, but things have changed. And I'm going to preface this by saying that this is not, uh, this is not a commentary on uh, the politics of education. Rather, it's just a comparison of how history was taught when I was growing up versus when, uh, when Matthew grew up just, uh, just recently. I'm a little concerned, though, that we seem to become, we are becoming selective in our history that we're including uh, in the curriculum, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, I'm not sure it's an accurate portrayal of our country, our country's history, and, and I think it is important, I do agree with that saying, those who don't, under, don't know history or don't understand it are doomed to repeat it, or whatever that cliche is, I do believe that. So, one thing leads to another, and I think to myself, okay, how would I do on this citizenship test that the USCIS administers? Now, it's been a while since I've been in school, and um, it's been a while since I've really had to deal or know a lot of these kinds of things. 
But I just thought for kicks and giggles, I would do that. Now understand though, that I took all 100 questions and we're gonna go over the ones I got wrong here in a minute. But the way the, the citizenship test is administered according to the test is that it's oral, not written, and so that in itself is creating pressure. You may, you, may, you may be asked up to 10 of the 100 questions. You need to score 60% to pass. And then you need to answer the questions with the answers that are on the test that you can download online. The test is broken down into three sections, American Government, History, and Integrated Civics, which I'm not even sure what that is. I have some, I do have some concerns here, though, as, as I delved into this. Um, and I couldn't help but think of my psychology class. I took a psychology class uh, my freshman year at Nebraska. It was called Keller Plan. It was a self-paced class. It was a four-hour class, which is a lot. It was a four-hour class. Self-paced. And I was told my my fall semester my freshman year man this is cake it's easy a you you need four hours of an a get your gpa up take this so sucker that i am i took it what it was was that there was there were no lectures i think there was the first lecture where he outlined the course but there were no lectures you all you did would be to read a chapter in the textbook and go to the testing center the testing room and take a 20 question test all fill in the blank, no multiple guess, all fill in the blank, 20 question test, and if you missed more than two, you failed. You failed that test, failed that chapter. Now, if you failed that test that day, you couldn't take it again that day. You would have to go back the next day. Now, on the flip side, if you passed chapter one that day, you could theoretically take the entire semester in one day. I don't know if that, I don't know if anyone that did that, but theoretically it was possible. So chapter three, I take that test. I get uh, I've taken it now. I think three times, failed it each time. Take it more, uh, a couple more times. Now I'm up to five times. Keep failing it. Well, the the problem is that there were uh, the TA teaching assistant, the TAs, they would grade your test. So you you go to the testing room fill out your test, slide it through a slot in the door, and on the other side in that room was where the TAs graded your paper. They would grade your paper and call you into the testing and call you into that great uh, testing center and tell you whether or not you passed. And if you didn't pass, they would go over the questions with you and tell you why they you you missed them. Well, now after 5 times I've taken it now it wasn't the exact same test every day. They, they were similar, not the exact same. But I had taken chapter three so many times now that um, I answered a question one way, one day, and it was correct. That same question, the same exact question, I answered the same exact way the next day, and I missed it. That helped cause me to fail that test. And the TAs had no answer when I would point that out to them. They didn't, they didn't know, probably didn't care. Uh, made an appointment with the professor, and he pushed me back down to the TAs. So, in hindsight, I should have dropped the class. A four-hour F uh, really torpedoes your GPA, which mine was on 
shaky ground as it was. But I didn't, and that's a story for another day. But the point I'm making is that though we seem to be leaving for the citizenship test, we seem to be leaving a lot of discretion up to the uh, testing officer. And I'm not sure uh, I see potential for a lot of inconsistency there. So um, I did take all 100 questions. Now, uh, as I said earlier, you have to get 60% correct, which is a D. Uh, in, in high school and junior high for me, that was D's were not part of the equation. So even though I didn't really brush up on this test, I thought yeah, getting a getting six sixty correct out of a hundred shouldn't be too too hard. Well, as it turns out, I got uh, I missed eighteen. I got eighty two correct, missed eighteen, which uh, for me back then good, not great. In college, I would have loved it, but that's another story. So let's go over some of the questions that I missed. Uh, let me make a few observations on this test as well. Um, because just like any test, just because it's a question on the test doesn't mean it's a good question. So let's dive right in. Right out of the chute, question number two, what does the Constitution do? Now remember, the test tells you you have to answer these questions. Let's read what it says exactly. It says, uh, although USCIS is aware that there may be additional correct answers to the 106 questions, Applicants are encouraged to respond to the civics questions using the answers provided below. Well, what does that mean? Well, of course we know what that means. So question number two is, what does the Constitution do? Well, I, I, that's a, I didn't get that one correct. The, the, one of the four answers, excuse me, one of the three answers is it sets up the government, defines the government, and it protects the basic rights of Americans. So, I mean, okay. Number three. Um, and I would just encourage anyone listening to this that's going to take this test, brush up on your history and civics. Really brush up on it. Number three, the question is, the idea of self-government is in the first three words of the Constitution. What are these words? And the answer is, of course, we the people, uh, in order to form a more perfect union, etc., etc. We skip down to number nine, and it says, what are two rights in the Declaration of Independence. And again, if, if, if you haven't dealt with this or thought about this or studied this in a long time, uh, it, may be, it may be a toughie. Uh, and and that, just as an aside, I, I wonder if you administered this, these hundred questions to American citizens, people who grew up here, went to school here, today, I wonder, I wonder what the average score would be. I don't think it would be very high. But the answer to number nine, uh, there are three. You only have to name two of them. But uh, the two rights in the Declaration of Independence, of course, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Number 11, what is the economic system in the United States? Well, it's a capitalistic, capitalist, excuse me, capitalist economy or a market economy. I'm not... I'm not I, I've not really heard the term market economy. I've heard free market economy, but not market, econ market economy. And then number 12, I'm not sure I ever heard, I had heard of before. What is the rule of law 
And there's four answers that you can give. Uh, you only have to give one, but there are four that are listed are everyone must follow the law, leaders must obey the law, government must obey the law, and finally, no one is above the law. So um, that's I'm, I'm learning something. I actually learned a lot by doing this. Number 13 is name one branch or part of the government. Now, when I was growing up, I was always taught it was legislative, executive, and judicial. But the USCIS would also accept if you said Congress, the president, or the courts. So a little bit, uh, a little bit different there. Question number 24 I thought was a little confusing. Who does a U.S. senator represent? And the answer is all people of the state. Well, yeah, but I, maybe I'm making something hard out of something easy with that one, but I don't think that's a good question. So moving right along, we go down now to question number 35. Question number 35. What does the president's cabinet do? Well, it does a lot of different things. The answer is advises the president. I mean, I, I always thought they carried out the president's policies, but I guess that's not that would not be an acceptable answer, or maybe it would be, but I would hate to hate to risk it, hate to chance it. So, and the next question actually asks, what are two cabinet level positions? I learned something here because I never considered or never thought or never knew that the vice president was considered a cabinet level position. I thought it was part, I mean, it's part of the executive branch, but I just didn't think of it as cabinet level. Uh, but some of the other answers are the attorney general, secretary of agriculture, secretary of commerce, secretary of defense, secretary of education, secretary of energy. Uh, here's one I didn't have to learn back in the day because this did not exist. Secretary of Homeland Security, thank you, 9-11. Uh, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of State, so, and Secretary of Veterans Affairs. I think that's a relatively new one also. Don't think it was around when I was uh, growing up in the, in the 70s and early 80s. So um, question number 39 is pretty good. How many justices are on the Supreme Court? Yes, I knew that was nine. This one, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit, I did not know. Question 40, who is the Chief Justice of the United States now? And that is, I believe, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts. Uh, he, I think he probably keeps a pretty low profile because you really, I don't hear a lot about him or from him. Um, and when they issue rulings, I, I, I hardly see his name. But uh, he and he's been the chief justice a while, so it's not like this is something that uh, just happened. Next question. Under our Constitution, some powers belong to the federal government. What is one power of the federal government? This is a this one can be a tough one. Uh, the answers are and you only have to have one. The answers are uh, to print money, to declare war, to create an army and to make treaties. So I may have uh, gotten that one about the treaties. I think that's the one I remember that they can do. Uh, the printing, then maybe declaring war, the printing of money and the creating an army, I had forgotten. Next question is a real tough one though, I think. Under our constitution, some powers belong to the states. What is one power of the states? I had no idea on this one. 
No idea. One of the answers are provide schooling and education, provide protection, which is police, provide safety, which is fire departments, give a driver's license, and approve zoning and land use. So raise your hand if you got that one correct before I gave you the answers. So you do, and then you do have some other questions. Some of these are layups or gimmies, I would call them. One is who's the governor of your state now and what's the capital of your state? What are the two major political parties in the U.S.? What is the political party of the president now? Uh, question number 47, uh, I, I knew we had a new speaker of the House of Representatives. Couldn't have named him to save my life. Uh, found out it's, uh, it's not Nancy Pelosi anymore, but it is Kevin McCarthy. Now, having lived in Dallas for so long, I, I will be able to remember that name because we had a Kevin McCarthy here um, who used to uh, be on talk radio. He had a show on talk radio, and just as importantly, he also was the PA announcer for the da Dallas Mavericks back in the 80s, maybe into the 90s, but for sure the 80s. So um, it's not the same Kevin McCarthy, but the name is the same. So we zip right along. Here's another one, another question I don't think is a good question. There are, now let me back up and say I, I do think people should be familiar with the amendments to the Constitution. And one of the questions uh, earlier in this test was how many amendments are there? And the answer is 27. And if you really stop and think about it, this is a document that um, we're going to get to when it was ratified. But it's been around for a long time. Uh, over 200 years and it's only been amended 27 times and 10 of those 27 were right out of the chute called the Bill of Rights but I mean that that 10 out of 27 so in 200 plus years this this body of work that creates our government has only been amended 17 times that's pretty good now contrast that with the state of Texas's Constitution and it's been amended hundreds, I believe, if not thousands of times. But this question, I, again, don't think it's a good question. And the question is, there are four amendments to the Constitution about who can vote. Describe one of them. One answer is citizens 18 and older can vote. Another answer is you don't have to pay a poll tax to vote. Another answer is any citizen can vote. And it has in parentheses here, women and men can vote. Um, women have been able to vote now for a little over 100 years, I think 100 and, 109 or something like that. And finally, the one of the last answers they will accept is a male citizen of any race can vote. I mean, now that takes us back to Civil War days. Next question. Uh, what is one responsibility that is only for United States citizens? One is to vote in a federal election, and the other one is to serve on a jury, which I know we all love to do. Uh, next one, now, now I'm giving you these consecutively, but think of these as separate entities and not consecutively, and, and you can begin to see it would be a challenge, because the next question is, name one right only for United States citizens. One is vote in a federal election, and the other one is run for federal office. So I, 
and I don't know, I, I mean, we're not the only democracy slash republic in the world, so I'm not sure, again, not sure that's a good, good question. This next one is, though, I think, what are two rights of everyone living in the United States? Uh, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, which I'm not sure what the difference is, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition the government, freedom of religion, and the right to bear arms. So, and then it asks, how old do you have to be, how old do you have to, be to vote for the president? Of course, that's 18. Uh, next one's kind of tricky. What are two ways that Americans can participate in their democracy? Well, voting is one. That's an easy one. But then you either need to include your next answer. It needs to either be join a political party, help with a campaign, join a civic group, give an elected official your opinion on an issue, call senators and representatives, publicly support or oppose an issue or policy, run for office. And this one I really like, write to a newspaper. So that's pretty funny, actually. So moving right along, now we're in the American history section of it. Um, this one is, again, because it's not taught in school anymore, I'm not sure people growing up know this. What is one reason colonists came to America? One, freedom. freedom. Two, political liberty. Three, religious freedom. Economic opportunity to practice their religion or to escape persecution. This next one is interesting because you'll see a little bit of, it just, it, it seems to be inconsistent. Who lived in America before the Europeans arrived? And the USCIS would accept either American Indians or Native Americans. So, um, what's interesting about this next question is that it, they don't have, they don't include what, uh, how they're addressed now. What group of people was taken to America and sold as slaves? The two answers that are acceptable or Africans and people from Africa. I gotta believe that they would accept African Americans as an answer, as a correct answer, um, but again, I wouldn't bet the house on it. Uh, next one, why did the colonists fight the British? Uh, because of high taxes, taxation without representation, because the British army stayed in their houses, boarding and, boarding and quartering, and because they didn't have self-government. Next one is, oh, well, this one's in the, uh, who wrote the Declaration of Independence? When was it adopted? And then the next one brings me to uh, the second, what will be the second half, half of my podcast. And that is, there were 13 original states, named three. So the 13 original colonies and the 13 original states are, are the same thing. But out of 13, you got to name three. That's actually pretty sporty. We'll, we'll dive more into those colonies uh, in a little bit. When was the Constitution written? 1787. I would have bet my life that it was 1781, but I would have lost. <laughs> this next one's really tricky, and I'm not sure. I've heard of the Federalist Papers, but I've only heard of it. I don't know that I could tell you a whole lot about it. Question number 67 is, though the Federalist Papers supported the passage of the U.S. Constitution, name one of the writers. That's uh, James, Mad James Madison, future president, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and the USCIS would even accept, and I'm probably not going to pronounce it correctly, but it's uh, Publius, Publius, 
P-U-B-L-I-U-S. He actually was from uh, the ancient Roman times. But uh, Hamilton used him as a, a pen name. Next question. Uh, what is one thing Benjamin Franklin is famous for? There's five that you could you have to choose from. Um, and so uh, he certainly was very, uh, you talk about an eclectic person. This guy was very eclectic. Uh, but the answers they would accept are a U.S. diplomat. He was the oldest member of the Constitutional Convention. He was the first postmaster general of the United States. <clears throat> Excuse me, he, he was writer of the Poor Richard's Almanac, and he started the first free libraries. And that I did not know. Also, uh, regarding Benjamin Franklin, there are 50 states, obviously, in our country. 24 states have a county named after Benjamin Franklin, Franklin County, or in Louisiana's case, the parish. But 24, half, half the country, basically, has a county named after Benjamin Franklin. I did not know that until I was doing research for this podcast. Um, this a couple more gimmies. Who's the father of our country? Who was the first president? Um, then we move on through our history. Name one war, one war fought by the United States in the 1800s. The acceptable answers are the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, the Civil War, and the Spanish-American War. I need to ask my nephew, did, did they even cover the Spanish-American War uh, in their history class? Because I'm thinking probably not. Some of these do become redundant. Name the U.S. War between the North and South. Uh, well, it's either the Civil War or the War between the States, but the Civil War is just in the previous question. Uh, name one problem that led to the Civil War. Now, uh, keep in mind, I didn't get all these wrong. I'm just reading some also that I think are interesting. Um, but name one problem that led to the Civil War. Uh, the answers that they accept were, are slavery, economic reasons, or states' rights. And then there's the, what did the Emancipation Proclamation do? What did Susan B. Anthony do? And the two acceptable answers for that are that she fought for women's rights and she fought for civil rights. So we're nearing the end of the test. Uh, question number 78, name one war fought by the United States in the 1900s. And that would be, of course, world, world easy for me to say, world wars, one and two, Korea or Korean War, Vietnam, Viet, Vietnam War, and then the Persian Gulf War. Who was president during World War One? Of course, that was Woodrow Wilson who was president during the Great Depression and World War II. That was FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, another one that, so this was probably about 20 years ago. Uh, one of my wife's relatives was in high school at the time, and I asked her, who did the United States fight in World War II? And she was not able to provide an answer. And that just, that, that was unbelievable to me. That's question number 81 on the test, by the way, the citizenship citizenship test. Who did the United States fight in World War II? It was Japan, Germany, and Italy. Number, question number 83, I, I don't agree with the answer, and I lived through the tail end of this. I was not there when it was at its height. Uh, 
The question is, during the Cold War, what was the main concern of the United States? And the only answer, according to this test, that's acceptable to the testing officer is communism. And I would disagree with that. Again, I did not live in the 50s and 60s where people had bomb shelters in their backyards. But I was there in the late 60s and the 70s, and the concern or the threat that they were going to send nuclear missiles our way was very real. Very real. So uh, don't, I don't like that answer. I don't like that test, uh, answer to that test. Question number 87, which is an interesting question to me, and I don't understand why it's here why the USCIS thinks it's important. Um, name one American Indian tribe in the United States. And then the subnote to that is USCIS officers will be supplied with a list of federally recognized American tribes. And I'm not going to go through them all, but I do think it's interesting that they are asking potential citizens to name one American Indian tribe. Uh, I, why? I also wonder if uh, it, this becomes a, a regional thing because there are two uh, tribes not on this list. Uh, I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi. The town was named after the Biloxi Indians. That was the tribe that was there that the white man kicked them off the land to get. Uh, one of the a couple towns over from us was uh, Pascagoula, the, the Pascagoula Indians. So if I was able to if I was able to name the Biloxi Indians as an American Indian tribe in the United States, I would think that would count. Now I don't know if they're still around, but they were an American Indian tribe. But some of the ones that uh, you should know or you've heard of, I'm sure Cherokee, Navajo, Sioux, the Chippewa, the Choctaws, uh, Pueblo, Apache, Iroquois, Creek, Blackfeet, Seminole, Cheyenne, uh, Shawnee, uh, Oneida. Uh, the Hopis, they will take that. Lastly, the last 12 questions have to do with geography. And some of these, if you haven't studied, these could be a little tricky. Name one of the lar two longest rivers in the United States. One of the two longest rivers in the United States. Obviously, it's either the Missouri or the Mississippi. I like these next two. What ocean is on the west coast of the United States? The following question after that is what ocean is on the east coast of the United States? <laughs> Obviously, the Pacific on the west and Atlantic on the east. I, I, would, I would hate to think that anybody would miss those. Question number 91, name one U.S. territory. Now, I, I, I got one, and one I would have missed because I... Didn't don't think of it as a territory because they keep they have voted not to become a state and I guess if you're not a state that means you're a territory. Uh, that would of course be Puerto Rico. Uh, they is is one U.S. territory. The others are the Virgin Islands, America Samoa, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Guam. So uh, I, I suspect that the the maybe not so much Samoa, but the Mariana Islands and Guam are a result of our uh, actions during World War II uh, against Japan. This next one I hadn't really thought about, uh, certainly a lot more than I had realized until I took this test. Name one state, one state that borders Canada. 
Maine, I knew. New Hampshire, not sure I knew. Vermont, I probably didn't know. New York, eh, not sure. Pennsylvania, no. Ohio, no. Michigan, maybe. Minnesota, for sure, I knew. I would That would have been my answer. North Dakota would have been another answer. Montana, Idaho, Washington, and Alaska. So you have a good number of states that, that border Canada. Um, Vermont and New Hampshire are two that I did not actually had realized that they were. Uh, name one state that borders Mexico. Well, since I live in Texas, obviously I would have gotten that one. Uh, what is the capital of the U.S.? Washington, D.C., of course. Here's one that I did not, I, I'm not sure I understood. Uh, question 95, where is the Statue of Liberty? And of course, it's in New York Harbor. They would accept Liberty Island as an answer. Also, you could say New Jersey, or near New York City, or on the Hudson River. So, I mean, may as well just say it's in the United States. <laughs> so, um, that's pretty much it. The last question is, name two national U.S. holidays. Well, obviously, if you get uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, you are golden. Um, New Year's Day, of course, Independence Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day. Uh, and all that. So again, just to recap, I took this test and I got 82 out of 100 correct. Or conversely, I missed 18, which uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. But be that as it may. So I want to delve a little bit into our colonies, the 13 colonies. This is the what started it all for me uh, for this test. Um, Again, I, I could name 12 of them. I got Vermont wrong. Now, in my defense, Vermont actually turned out to be the 14th state admitted to the Union, so I wasn't too far off. Um, did not include Georgia. What, is, what was interesting to me is that the way, it, the way I remember it being taught, there wasn't, and again, this is the 70s, but there wasn't a lot of, uh, it wasn't taught from a 30,000-foot view um, the the time the timing or the time that went by wasn't really stressed where I'm going with this is so the first colony that got founded was Virginia in the year 1607 and I if I remember this I've forgotten it but it was established by the Virginia company and it it came under rule of England under King's, King James I in 1624. So for 17 years, it was a colony, but and it, it, it struggled. But it was not under British rule at that point, after 1624 it was. So that's 1607. 19 years later, the colony of New York is um, formed. 19 years later. Now, what's interesting about New York is that the city of New York during the Revolutionary War was uh, held by the British for, for, for the most of the war, but the rest of the state, uh, they, were, they were revolutionaries, they were patriots. So now we go to 1630, four years after New York's formed, and Massachusetts is uh, created, founded. Uh, and interestingly enough, it's named after the Massachusetts Indians, whose land, again, was, you could say, taken, <coughs> me, taken from them. So three years after that, uh, Maryland, 
was formed. That's in 1633. Uh, and their, their growth population mostly focused on uh, rivers and waterways that fed into um, the Chesapeake. Three years later, 1636, Rhode Island is formed. Um, they had actually established a trading center in 1622, but it became a, a, a formal colony, if you will, in 1636. I still say, no offense to Rhode Islanders, but if you can drive across it in half an hour, is it really a state? So also that same year, 1636, Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut is formed. The, uh, the Dutch had it, and there was a fight between the Dutch and the British, and the British won. And so in 1636, Connecticut became a colony. 1638, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is now uh, a colony. And because there are actually people escaping Massachusetts, uh, because they, they're being persecuted religiously, or their religion is being persecuted, uh, New Hampshire was probably the most uh, religiously diverse colony. And so that's 1638. Also in 1638, Delaware. Uh, first, I uh, did not know this, it was Swedish, then it was Dutch, and then the English took over in 1664. Uh, of course, they had to fight to get that right, but they did. So now we're 31 years into, or 31 years after, the first formation of a colony, the colony of the, the, the formation of the first colony, Virginia in 1607. So now we move up to 1653, North Carolina, uh, which actually, as the Revolutionary War starting was starting, it had the uh, population expansion, the most population expansion of any of the 13 colonies. Ten years later, 1653, because they couldn't get along with the people in North Carolina, those folks in, in the south part of Carolina decided to form their own colony, and they became South Carolina. The next year, 1664, New Jersey uh, became, a became a colony, and it actually started out as Dutch, and then the English got the right to take it over. The 12th colony, Pennsylvania, 1682. And it actually, it at one point included Delaware as part of its territory, but Delaware broke away and formed its own uh, colony, had, had formed its own colony a few years earlier. And then finally, uh, Georgia in 1732. Georgia was formed. And what's ironic here is that in the charter for the colony, slavery was forbidden. And obviously, as we know, uh, a few years later, or years later, it, that, that would be reversed. But when Georgia first became a colony, slavery was forbidden. So we have our first colony in 1607, and Georgia pops on the scene in 1732. That's 126 years different between the first and the last colony. I had not realized it had taken that long. So it's 1732 and we now go to start the Revolutionary War in 1775. So these colonies existed for, I'm trying to do math in my head which is always dangerous, but uh, 50, 53 years these colonies 
uh, had existed as 13 colonies. Obviously, Virginia had been around a lot longer, but uh, these colonies had been around for 50, 50 plus years, and then they start the revolution. As you do research on the colonies, uh, you will see that there are, are three, three uh, groupings of the colonies. The New England colonies, which is New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. Their population, by the way, and these are estimates because we didn't have census until 1790, but their population was estimated to be uh, 827,000 for those colonies. Then you have the middle colonies, which is New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. And their population was est estimated to be uh, a little over a million. Then you had the southern colonies, and that's Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. And their population, which included slaves, was uh, 1.7, almost 1.8 million. So um, it's interesting to see the population uh, early on, because as, as we learned in school later during the Civil War, the, the Confederacy, the population of the Confederacy was a lot less than that of the Union States. Um, but here, during the Revolution, uh, that was not the case. The southern colonies actually had the most population. So the other thing that um, this revolution, the Revolutionary War did was it lasted, and again, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's, if it's not taught in school, it doesn't matter, but this war lasted eight years, eight years. I mean, that's a long time. Uh, a long time. I don't know if today, if this country would have the stomach for an eight-year war. And just as I say that, I realize we did conduct uh, a war of that length, if not longer, in Afghanistan and, and uh, Iraq. So maybe maybe we do when, uh, when it all comes down to it. <clears throat> all it took for that was for our uh, soil to be attacked by terrorists. But that was an eight-year war. Uh, doesn't... It, we don't really think about it in those terms, but that's a long time. Started in 1775 and ended in 1783. So um, really, I've always thought that the United States, us, I can say because I'm an American, us beating uh, Great Britain, it would be, it would be similar to uh, if Puerto Rico... Uh, wanted to become its own country and went to war with us. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say we, we have one of, if not the most powerful army in the world, as the British did back then. And we have numbers and techno technological superiority and you name it, and we got it. But it, it, it didn't help the British. They they basically gave up. Um but but the the it was such a monumental thing. That's what it would be like today. If Puerto Rico went to war with us, and they just they bleed us dry for eight years, and finally we just say you know throw our hands up in the air and say you know what that's fine. And if that's what you all want, then good luck with that. And I think that's what happened back then. But um, so that's 1783, as we learned with the citizenship test, the Constitution was ratified in 1787. That's another four years. In today's terms, that's a, that's a president, president's term in office, four years. And so I guess we, we forget, we don't really appreciate 
how slow things moved back then, uh, how slowly they, they changed. Uh, but after the uh, Constitution was ratified, uh, as, as we, we know, or as I looked up on Google, <laughs> the first state admitted to the Union was Delaware, which I think that they have that on their license plates. Uh, the second was Pennsylvania, then New Jersey, then Georgia. Ironic, it's ironic, Georgia was the last colony to be formed and, and the fourth state to be admitted. Then Connecticut, then Massachusetts, then Maryland, then South Carolina, then New Hampshire, then Virginia, then New York, then North Carolina, then Rhode Island. And as I said earlier, the 14th state was uh, come into the Union was Vermont. So uh, I think I do think that it's interesting to learn uh, about the about these colonies and what happened. Uh, they certainly weren't perfect. They endured a lot. Uh, they they kept the faith, so to speak. Uh, but I think we also had uh, as the 1750s turned into the 1760s turn into the 1770s I think we have we have a, we have men that are in the right place at the right time that were the right men and so um, it, it it just things that happened events that happened uh, it it just all fell into place and it culminated with the start of the revolution in 1775 and it ended with uh, the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown in 1783 and so uh, off we go but it was not easy sailing it took four years to, to get a government to get a a new government that uh, and a constitution but in hindsight i guess you can say they they did it right because they this is a a document that's been amended only 17 times after the initial Bill of Rights, after the first 10. And that's not a lot. Uh, it really isn't. So, uh, again, this is not a, a political commentary on our education system, or I'm not making any statement one way or the other uh, about it. I am simply saying that it's, uh, it's surprising to me that uh, as a as a country as a society that we've um, we, we we give such little uh, importance to our beginnings because I, I do think it's important to know uh, where we came from again not perfect uh, a lot of struggles didn't always win but I, I think it's important to I think it's important to know how we started. I will leave you with this. Uh, if ever you find yourself uh, in, in a bar, want to wanna win a bet, you can tell somebody, I bet you I can say all 50 states in less than a minute. Chances are they will take you up on that. They will give you the money, and you simply say all 50 states. Now, I'm not responsible if you get punched in the face and the person takes back their money, but um, you can bet them that you can say all 50 states in less than a minute. So that's, uh, that's, your, that's your homework assignment. Try that and see how it works out for you. So until next time, 
This is Joe Torres, and this is the Eclectic Joe, the podcast. And I want everybody out there to stay safe.